0: Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today's interview is with Jerry Teixeira, and uh, we spoke on Zoom maybe about two or three months ago, um, and I'm just now publishing this interview, and it's been really interesting. I reached out to him because uh, another guest of mine, Cameron Seppa, is active on Twitter along, uh, and and he talks a lot with Jerry on on Twitter about um, bodyweight exercises, and uh, so I've started following Jerry as well. And, and the tips he gave me on how to bring more strength training into my life with very few extras, uh, so I don't need any equipment, um, were really helpful. And I went from, you know, being able to do one pull up, not even one pull up to now I can do probably about 20. Um, and I just use the, uh, I, I go for a walk every day on, in golden gate park. And on the way there are these, uh, stop signs uh, stoplights and on the bottom of the stoplights is, is a pull-up bar essentially and uh, so I've been using those to do pull-ups on my morning walks every day. Uh, so it's uh, the content he put out there is, is really helpful and it's helped me a lot so I wanted to reach out to him for an interview and, and we did an interview. I'm, I'm very interested in biomechanics, uh, biomechanics being the way that our body works and how muscles develop, how fascia interacts with muscles, uh, all of these different things. And so Jerry has a lot to say about this and, and definitely um, is very knowledgeable on this subject, not only with theoretical knowledge, but practical knowledge as well. And uh, I think you'll really enjoy this interview, and I hope you do. Uh, if you do, please find us on iTunes by searching for Crazy Wisdom and hitting the subscribe button. Or, uh, or, and if you really enjoy this episode, then, then please, please give us a review. Uh, hope you guys have a great day. Thanks. Bye. So welcome to the crazy wisdom podcast. Uh, my guest here is JT. He is the creator of a body weight strength uh, channel on YouTube and he's really active on Twitter as he was just explaining. He, it all came organically uh, through he was just researching a bunch on Twitter and then found, and then somebody asked him a question. He started creating videos and went viral and now he's got this amazing YouTube channel that I found a lot of value from. I'm really excited to have you on. Welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be here, man.
0: Yeah. So let's get right into it. What is the most important thing that you would tell somebody who's just starting out a program for body weight training? So I
1: would say that um, something that took me a long time to really grasp and figure out is that your body responds to an outside stimulus in any type of training it's how your body grows right we're, we're adaptive organisms so you apply a stressor to the body the body adapts to the stressor and once it's adapted to that stressor and this goes for weight training body weight strength training doesn't matter but once you've adapted to that stressor your results are not going to continue so whatever it is that you start out doing if you say hey i'm, I'm going to do 50 push-ups a day or whatever or i'm going to do 10 three sets of 10 on bench press like that all that stuff's good and you'll get results for a while because you introduced a new stimulus. But as soon as that stimulus, your body adapts, now you have to increase the, the resistance, the challenge on the body. So, so my best advice, and this is kind of carries over to life in general, is make sure that you are continuing to progress. So keep notes, keep a logbook, whatever um, your method. There's lots of different techniques you can use to stress the body further. There's not one right way but make sure that you're not just doing an arbitrary, number of anything with no method or purpose behind it. I did that for years and, and was shooting myself in the foot. So that would be the biggest, and if, you, if you want, I did a video on it actually, it's called, um, it's, it's progression, right? Strength progression and progressive overload. So if you want to Google and research, research, progressive overload, but that's the most important element to strength training or physical training is that you are progressively
0: overloading your body. And life, too. I mean, it's, as you said, it's, it's life uh, if, if I'm in a situation. So, I, for example, I've been, getting, I've been doing these interviews now for about a year and a half. And when I first started, it was stressful. I could only do one, two, three times a week. And now as I've gotten more going, I'm doing like two, time, two a day. Sometimes I've got two scheduled today. Um, and then, you know, I just started that maybe a week ago. And that was like, whoa, I don't know if I can handle two times a day. And now it's like, well, now it's kind of normal. And so it's like that can be applied to pretty much everything in life. Would you, would you agree?
1: Yeah. And and I think a good, uh, maybe like a good example of that is so if you start working somewhere um, on whether it's a project of your own or you get a job or whatever, there's like an excitement in the beginning Mm -hmm. and that carries for a while. But if you have ever led teams of people, if you don't, if you don't cultivate growth and if people, if they don't have new challenges, they, the team will stagnate. People will become unhappy and growth will stop. And so, it, yeah, like you're right, it applies to just about anything, even relationships, right? Mm-hmm. You get into a new relationship um, with someone, and so you are putting all this effort into it. But as human nature, the over time, that effort becomes less and less, and you settle into mediocrity in your relationship. I've done it, like my relationship's not perfect. We're, we're human, mm-hmm. right? You're not, we're not going to be perfect. Yeah. But recognizing that flaw of human nature it's a it's a survival mechanism designed to prevent you from expending energy Too much from energy yeah. yeah from growth really it's mm-hmm. to, to, to see homeostasis. so yeah it applies to everything like you said
0: uh which is really interesting because now we live pretty much in in lives of total abundance where we can go to the supermarket get all the energy we need we don't need to really walk there we can get in our car like we've got all the energy needs we could ever meet so the those evolutionary limitations that we had when we were developing don't exist anymore. And now we've got this new set of circumstances and now you can do what you're talking about, which is like continue to progress with not with an evolutionary input, but just with a kind of like, oh, I want to better myself or get reach new goals or things like that. Yeah, and
1: I think that's critical for, I think like if you ask somebody, if you ask me or if I ask you, hey, do you feel fulfilled in life? Do you feel happy? Mm-hmm. I think that the... The the what it requires for you to be able to answer yes and feel good about it is to be progressing, to be challenging yourself and to be moving forward in some area, right? Whether it's career, it doesn't have to be that you you're exercising all the time. But one of the things you can't always control if you're stuck maybe you're presently stuck in a bad situation at work and you're looking for a change, but you know, or maybe you're in a bad relationship. What I've found is, and I've been through some super trying times, but what I've found is that you can always you can always train, you can always work out. So even if everything else is completely out of control, you know, you can, you can still control that one aspect. So I think it gives you a sense or some small amount of accomplishment, some small amount of grinding away and succeeding at something that you can't get any other way, right? There's no other way to get it other than to progressively overload, challenge yourself and, and, and achieve it. So I think that's kind of like, you know, um, an important aspect of it.
0: And that's why I love what you're doing with your channel because it's all based on the idea that you don't have to have any of this stuff and you try to make videos like yes it is important to have like a a, a bar on your wall that you can do pull-ups in, but you can also find out of the playground and, and most of the content that you create is based off of just like i've got this body what can i do with this body right now with no extra stuff which i really i love
1: yeah 100 percent minimalist and so sometimes i'll post something and i'll even have people chime in which i totally welcome and they'll be like oh i do it like you know, X or Y a little modification. And so sometimes it's like there, yeah, there's other ways you can do it. But if I can demonstrate something with zero equipment other than you and a floor, that's the, that's where I'm going to start. Mm-hmm. And so like on the YouTube, at least I haven't done anything with rings, with any gymnastics rings yet, which I'm going to start doing that soon. But first I wanted to get everything that just requires a you and a floor
2: mm-hmm.
1: and which I'm still not done with. I mean, it's, you know, there's, only there's only so much time, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that, with just basic geometry and thinking about the body, you can scale th- things to make them infin- infinitely harder. So that's one of the mental blocks I had initially with trying to get into this type of training. Is I thought, okay, well, once I can do a bunch of push-ups, what do I do? Or if I can do, you know, a ton of pull-ups, then what do I do?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you can you can basically manipulate the leverage. You can move um, you can move basically the center of gravity. There's little things you can do that make the load way, way more intense. And so the first thing people think is, okay, well, I, that's cool. I mean, like I can get fit or a little bit, or I can start working out with body weight, but then I've got to get to the gym and I got to buy a gym membership. Cause you know, I, if I want really good results, I've got to lift weights or use iron or whatever. And the thing is your body only understands a resistance an outside force being applied your body doesn't know, oh cool, a 45 pound plate, right? Mm -hmm. So the thing that I challenge people to think about is like, look at someone, a lot of people don't even know this is possible, but you can do a pull up with one arm. So you can start in a dead hang and you can do a one arm pull up all the way over the bar and all the way back down. If you weigh 200 pounds, you're essentially one arm is moving 200 pounds over a bar, which almost no humans can do. So the example I try to give people is you can scale body weight training to an almost infinite difficulty that will overload your muscles, no matter how advanced you are.
0: And by, um, by placing constraints by the mind, which is the most interesting part. Cause that's like what I, what I believe as human beings, we have this interesting ability to do, which no other animals do is we can create something abstract like, Oh, I've got two arms. Why would I ever use one arm? But then you can use that one arm to essentially do something that will, that will affect your body in a, in a, in a very impactful way. I think.
1: Yeah, because that's, that's the other thing is strength is a muscular adaptation to a external, you know, stimulus, but also there's a neuro neurological component to it. It's why you see, if you trained for it, you could basically gain a lot of strength and very minimal muscle mass if you did it a certain way. Mm -hmm. And for some athletes, that's what they want, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Most people want to build some hypertrophy, they want some muscle. And then yes, also to be functional and strong and all of that. But so one of the differences between I think traditional weight training and body weight um, strength training is that once you can bench press properly, I mean, you want to learn to do it right, but once you can bench press, the movement doesn't change no matter how much weight you put on the bar, you're Mm. bench pressing the same way for however many years. Right. But what happens with, with body weight, what happens is you go, okay, I've never trained a pull up or a pulling motion with one arm in through that plane of motion. So now, when I start doing that, it's not just, do I have big enough, strong enough muscles to do this? Yep. Cause there's plenty of guys out there or girls that have the strength, the, 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 the raw muscular strength, yep. Yep. but then when they hang there, they can't even move.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's more neurological.
2: Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's one of the things I do find is cool is like, if you've never practiced handstands, even if you are a very strong individual um, and you try to do a handstand, you're, you're going to be falling all over the place. Mm. And it's, it's really humbling. Most people, even if they're great athletes and really strong men or women,
2: Mm.
1: they'll try some of the basic stuff and they're like, holy cow, this is no joke. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, so I do think there is a, a fun element to it, a little bit different. It's a little different than traditional weight training. And so maybe some people even think, man, I, I really dislike the gym and I dislike lifting. But then when it comes to body weight strength training, there's definitely a different vibe and a different feel to it.
0: It's, uh, it's got the element of play to it as well, which I've actually found from, from dancing and other things. And dancing is more neurological. Like there is, I have been noticing that as I've been dancing there, it, I can get into squats while dancing, and it, but it seems like it's training the neurological components of it. And there's an interesting fact that I got from Jules Mitchell, who is a yoga teacher who really studies, because she's got her master's in bio, uh, biomechanics. So she really studies the biomechanics of what's happening. And she said that the first eight to 12 weeks of any strength training, uh, uh, is you're, you're not building muscle necessarily, but you're building the neurological component. And then after that, it's, it's strength training, which was really interesting.
1: Yeah, hundred percent because I'll, I will do certain, even now trying to move to like a, a more difficult progression. And sometimes it's, it's just really humbling. Cause like you said, you don't have the, the, the mind muscle connection to move through that, that plane of motion yet um, in that manner. And so you'll, you can't even get one
2: mm-hmm. rep,
1: you've got to mm-hmm. assist yourself to getting one rep, right? So that's one of the biggest challenges is for example, looking at, you know, a, a one arm push up or a one arm pull up and then thinking, okay, how do I go from doing a regular push up? Like, how do I even get to that? And then what I ended up having to do was I read, you know, different books and watched YouTube videos and read blogs. And what I found is, um, some progressions, some progression trees and things that I found were good. But certain times I would just get to something where I, I couldn't do it period the way they said, Hey, this is how to do it. And so then I had to think, okay, mm. what, what, what strength, what, what do I need to do? How do I spot myself through this? Cause I, I don't have a training partner. I'm doing everything solo, you know, at my house. Mm. And so that, that mental challenge to it, um, or looking at, uh, thinking about in terms of training your entire body and going, okay, pull-ups are an amazing back workout. But I need to do rows, right? Ideally you want to have a row motion. It's it's a different pulling and a different motion through a different plane. So I was like, well, I've got to do rows. But body weight rows, you know, if I can do fifty of them or whatever, it's like, how do I make this harder? So then it was like, okay, well, I'm gonna do rows with my feet not on the floor, completely suspended mm. from from like a bar from rings. So then now how do I do that? So there was just like a couple years of me, okay, who else can do this? And looking on YouTube and looking on Vlogs and stuff and then trying to sometimes their their way of doing it would work for me and sometimes not and i'd have to add my own flair to it so that's kind of where, where i where i'm at basically
0: which is really interesting because that's what i've been thinking about this and we'll i'll take it into yoga so yoga as it's practiced in the studio a lot of people get the impression that yoga as as is practiced in the studio is the same thing that they've been doing for thousands of years it's not true they they, they in like yoga as we know it the development of it, the postures of it started probably around the ninth century with just a few postures and there were meditation postures and then in the fifteenth century, uh, the, there were more postures added and then in the eighteenth century nineteenth century, uh, the British and the, the um, Scandinavians developed calisthenic practices which then seeped into the British popular culture uh, military culture, which then they, they then brought to India and then the Indians took those calisthenic practices they were taught by the British and then combined it with these kind of philosophical things that they had heard, uh, that they had had in their tradition for a long time, the Bhagavad Gita and all these different things, and they created what is modern day yoga. Um, forgetting the point basically, oh yeah, so that, 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 we're, that yoga as we practice it in the West, no normative judgments whether it's bad or good, uh, is a new form of exercise that didn't exist before 1850. Um, and it's placing our body in new ways that we didn't really we weren't really using in the same way Like it was and now what you're talking about is really interesting because you're developing with these bars and these other things You're developing new ways to stress the body that basically haven't been done before um, Because it just wasn't in people's mind. Um, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean until Where, where, where a lot of what I learned comes from is uh, my daughter is 13. She just turned 13 recently a couple months ago And we put her in gymnastics when she was three. So the first few years she was in gymnastics, when you're three, four, five years old, you're learning very basic elements. And so at that point I was just going to the gym and lifting. And and the thing is I wasn't a, I wasn't one of these people that really studied strength training and did much research at all. Honestly, I just went to the gym and did basic routines I found in a magazine or whatever. And so I wasn't really ensuring that I'm overloading myself. I wasn't, um, I got okay results just because I was consistent with it. Um, but I didn't, approach it with a plan it wasn't like I had a good strength coach or a good a good methodology to it right and so what ended up happening is as my daughter got older and I was exposed to gymnastics longer I started seeing how much muscle these and they're I mean they're kids at the time my daughter was Mm. eight seven eight years old and when we go places people would say hey do you take your daughter to the gym she's jacked you know (laughs) and I was like no it's just gymnastics but but Mm. again she was young and my focus was on her age level you know So as she got older and she went from what's called, um, a compulsory level, which is where all the kids do the same routine. Mm. She went into what's called optionals, which is, um, where custom choreography, everything's done unique to the athlete. It's like the higher levels of, of the sport. Mm. Um, and so now she's level nine training level nine. Um, and then she goes level 10 and that's pretty much collegiate. You're prepping for college at that point. And, um, so the, so the kids are getting older and even going to gyms, the, the boys are getting older
2: mm. and
1: you're looking at the physiques that these 13 and 15 year old boys have and the girls as well. It's not just the, the, the males, but they're, they are, you know, you look at high school football players that lift and these kids and the gymnast, gymnast look better. Mm. They're leaner, mm. their they're, they're pecs, their biceps, everything is well developed even at a young age. And so I just started kind of realizing like, man, they don't do any lifting. And so my first bout of messing around with body weight seriously, I decided, um, it was when my daughter was, I don't know, kindergarten or first grade, something like that. And because of my wife and I's schedule, I pretty much had our daughter home with me until I dropped her off with grandma and there was no time to go to the gym. Mm. And then I had to pick her up. My wife was traveling for work. So I pretty much at that point, thought, okay, for this summer, I'm gonna try to maintain doing just body weight. Mm. And I know I'll probably lose some results but I'm gonna just do body weight, and at that point, I was convinced that you could maintain on it because I, watching these gymnasts and stuff, and this is probably four or five years ago, five, well, like five or six years ago actually. And so what I did is I went the summer, and it was I bought a perfect pull-up bar to stick in my doorway at the house, so I didn't have any equipment. It was just that pull-up bar, and I did push-ups, pull-ups, body weight, body weight squats, and that type of stuff. The summer went by, and I, I actually didn't lose anything at all. Mm. And in fact, um, gained some range of motion because I was, I started stretching and things during that time, but basically I didn't lose anything. But what I did is as soon as my daughter went back to school and my schedule opened up, I went right back to the gym. Mm. Um, so that kind of limited my, or, or is why I didn't progress because I, I thought still, I had that in the back of my head, like, well, this is good. I mean, I can do this, but to get a real workout, I've got to hit the gym Mm. and it wasn't till my son was born which came five years later or four something like that after this period uh, that I decided the second time around after, like I mentioned, seeing my daughter get older and seeing how fit she is, which is crazy, and seeing the other being around more gymnasts and meeting some older male gymnasts and just seeing what's, cap- what what's possible. Mm. And they don't lift. like They don't lift weights. It's all body weight. So that's when I decided, okay, we're having a new baby. I know there's going to be several months where it's going to be hard to get to the gym. I'm just going to, and at that point I read some material and I found some guys, you know, YouTube blogs. I looked at gymnasts and I thought, okay, these, these people are achieving some solid physiques without weight. So if Mm -hmm. they can do it, I know I can do it. So Mm -hmm. the way I decided I was going to actually force myself to do it was I canceled my gym membership and we had a son and I thought, Hey, this is my new thing. I work out at home now. I just accepted like I work out at home yeah. and this is what I'm going to do. And so that's why now four years later, I've actually stuck with it. Versus the first time where I went right back to, you know, going to the gym.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so that's the difference now versus the first crack I had at it.
0: So let's get into the kind of more and an- anatomy and biomechanics. I would love to talk about range of motion. Um, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about how you you were think you were trying to get in l- larger ranges of motion, but you can't necessarily. Can you talk more about that?
1: Yeah. Um, so one of the things from not. And I think more like the average person, like most people, you start an exercise program, you're just going to the gym, lifting some weights, running, whatever it is you're doing. I don't think most people, and from what I've experienced on Twitter, most people don't say, okay, well, how's my mobility and hmm. what should I be doing for you know, taking care of, of that type of stuff outside of just the, the, the training itself? And so my, my program was super incomplete and what ended up happening was over some years of just working out, luckily I was fairly consistent. There were periods where I stopped going and things like that. But, um, and I, and I got fat for a while and some stuff like that, but luckily I kept going on and off consistently enough that, um, I wasn't like super deconditioned or terribly out of shape, which some people are. But what did happen is from training like a knucklehead for a decade I basically had terrible range of motion from sitting at a desk for years and driving and everything. My my hamstrings and I never realized it. Um, once I started looking at body weight strength training, I couldn't bend over and touch my toes. Mm-hmm. I had several inches before I could you know touch mm-hmm. my toes. I was getting all kinds of lower back pain. I went to doctors and chiros. I th- I thought I had like permanent back problems, and what happened is my hip, the musculature in my hips became so tight, my hamstrings became so tight. Um, my calves were crazy tight. My Achilles was, you know, my, my ankles were tight. My wrists, when I first when you bench press or, or whatever, you are holding your wrists in a neutral position. You're not bending at the wrist. So I never had a problem with it. But when I started having to do a lot of push-ups, I was getting wrist pain. Mm. I couldn't push up comfortably. I, handstands hurt. So mm. then I realized like, that's not normal. That's from lack of movement through a full range of motion for years and years. Mm. And so I knew I, I'd lost range of motion all over the place. Mm. And so that's when I realized and I started, I actually talked to a physiotherapist when my daughter broke her, she dislocated her elbow. And so mm. I was talking to a physiotherapist and I had just started body weight strength training four years ago at this point. My daughter was nine, I think. And I basically told the guy, I said, hey, I got some lower back pain. Um, what, do you, what, what do you think? And so he asked me to touch my toes and he's like, dude, you're a mess. (laughs) He was like, come here for a minute. And he, I mean, I was there with our insurance paying for him to treat my daughter. So he just looked at me for like five minutes and he goes, listen, man, he goes, I can't like, I'm not, you're not my patient right now. He goes, but go look at, go just go look at type in like physical therapy or, you know, he's like, just go do some Google Mm -hmm. searches on, um, restoring range of motion mm. on stretching on, he's all look up, watch some YouTube videos on foam rolling. He's like, you just need to address your body. He's like, you're a statue.
2: Mm. So
1: he was like, you just need to take some time and it's going to take you a long time. He's like, but you need to take some time. So that's what led me to, when I first started watching some yoga videos, some of that, cause that's what kind of opened my mind to that kind of stuff.
0: So that's really interesting. Cause I basically experienced the opposite problem. I, I was so into yoga. I was doing yoga as my main form of exercise, uh, calisthenics. But the issue with yoga is that it's not just calisthenics. It's calisthenics with the focus of mobility. And it's, this is a, this is a, um, unconscious bias. A lot of people aren't conscious that most yoga teachers are focused on establishing mobility so that they can get into the crazy poses that are at the end ranges of motion, which are not the best poses for, for these people to be doing. So there's hypermobility condition. It's 20% of the general population has hypermobility. 60% of a yoga class has hypermobility. The yoga oh, teachers themselves are hypermobile. And and the, the thing you do not want to do when you're hypermobile is to maintain those high ranges of motion. You want to actually focus on lower ranges of motion but building strength inside of those, those ranges of motion. So I actually was led to yoga to... I believe I trained myself into hypermobility. Um, and then now, now I'm starting to focus on strength training, which is how I found you. And it's like, that's, that's really interesting because I basically did the opposite. I trained myself into hypermobility and now and I could touch my toes. I could put my, 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 my foot over my head. I could do all these crazy things. Um, but I didn't have any strength in those, in those ranges of motion. And now I'm focusing on strength. Uh, and so it's really interesting cause it's like, we, 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 we train for these things that we, our mental model thinks that we need to be doing, but then we end up in, in having an issue later on. It's really interesting.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, mm-hmm. and I think that where knowledge comes from is oftentimes is the journey that you go on that brings you to the point you, that where you are. So sometimes mm-hmm. I look back and I think, man, I wish I wouldn't have done X or Y, obviously, you know, you, you, you wish you would have done things differently, but then had I not done those things that way. I wouldn't be able to help answer questions when somebody else is coming from that, you know, hey, I, I, I know exactly how you feel because I was there before, you know. Mm. Uh, and because my daughter's a gymnast, that's one of the things that I recognize now. And when I look at gymnasts, they train for extreme flexibility and mobility, but they do a ton of brute strength conditioning. They don't ever want a range of motion where you don't have complete slow controlled strength throughout that entire movement. And so that's the way I approach, um, my, my workouts is I think that so momentum, if you think about it, if you use momentum for something, you're not using strength, you you're using, obviously you're using momentum, right? It's not a muscular contraction, right? That's, that's moving you throughout that range of motion. So I don't, it's one of the reasons why, for example, a kipping pull up, I, I don't teach kipping pull-ups. I don't do kipping pull-ups. I don't think you should do kipping pull-ups. And the reason is if you're lacking strength in that range of motion somewhere and you're sticking, then you need to build strength where you're sticking. You don't need mm-hmm. to kip past where you're sticking. That, Or you can spot yourself like using a stool. And I, I posted a video recently. And then lower yourself through the range of motion slowly to build strength. But I think your focus throughout that full movement needs to be on your your body's own tension that you create, moving yourself through that. Mm. Even if you, I mean, you're moving, you're building strength throughout from, from whatever your, whatever your current range of motion happens to be. Yeah. Whether build you don't have, right. If you don't have a full range of motion yet, you still are going to build strength inside of what you do have, mm. While you work to expand to, to, a, to a normal range of motion. And I, I'm not a physiotherapist or a chiropractor. I know there are some people who have like, Legitimate structural reasons why they can't
0: yeah, or 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 uh, chronic pain, which is an interesting thing. So chronic pain uh, So we have a map of our body inside of our brain uh, And that is actually what we feel when we when we get hurt unless it's a reflex Then then the then the information is going through the spine and directly out to our muscles Uh, but if it's chronic what chronic pain does is it basically messes with the map we have of our of our body inside our brain so that neurological component for I've experienced a lot of chronic pain and that, that basically has taken me years to to get to a place where I can neurologically be really comfortable in fluid and movement uh, without pain and you if you if you are experiencing pain it's a really good idea to slow down your movements and only come to the edge of increased pain uh, ironically the best way to deal with chronic pain is to actually exercise but not exercise like oh I'm gonna go like lift 150 pounds, like I actually hurt myself doing that. Uh, it's more like you slow down really basic, gentle exercise, which you then come to the edge of increased pain and then move within that thing. And then that it kind of allows you to flow with the pain. So yeah, there's, a, it's really important for any of our listeners that if you deal with chronic pain, structural issues, go see a specialist who's trained in that particular specialty. Um,
1: right. And one of the things that uh, I, I always caution is when you when you when you get into any physical training program, there's there's like good pain. I know Mm. it sounds cheesy, but there's good pain and bad pain. And so sharp stabbing pain is never good pain. Mm. You know, if you if you're like in the beginning where I was very immobile, um, stretching is uncomfortable. Mm. And it, it kind of hurts, but it hurts the way stretching hurts. It's a unique little you know, you know what it feels like. So you know when you're stretching, okay, this is just a deep stretch, I'm good, versus it, when you are under a load, for example, let's say you were squatting and you feel like a, a sharp pain, that's time to stop, mm-hmm. you know, there. So anytime you are going to going to take on a new exercise regimen of any type, um, just be cognizant of your body and listen to your body. I know there's the old adage, like, um, you know, like embrace the pain or whatever, but the, but that is not talking about that's not talking about like physical damage from a, you know, neurological or muscular standpoint, that's talking mm. about like, yeah, getting an extra rep hurts, doing mm. an extra set hurts that that's progressive mm. overload. It's if, if you're never challenging yourself and nothing hurts. So that's, it, it's hard to explain until you actually start working out, but there's a good, a good kind of pain. That's okay. Mm. that You want when you stretch, you know, it should be slightly uncomfortable mm. when you are um, performing your reps in your sets. Yeah. You a, a, the burn you know th- that's all good but anytime it's sharp stabbing pain for sure stop mm. because the the worst thing is being injured and losing months
0: mm. uh, so i'd love to get more into into science stuff because i think that you can have a conversation about that and so there's a couple different things i'd love to talk about and i'll let you choose i'll just throw out a couple there's cns fatigue central nervous system fatigue versus peripheral nervous system fatigue meaning the the how tired you feel just in your body versus how tired your muscles feel. Or there's uh, fascia connective tissue, if, th- if you've thought about that. Uh, there's uh, um, biotensegrity biotense- in the way the cells are, are, are let up. Or, uh, or another really interesting one that in the yoga room, which, which most people don't realize, is that it's really easy in body weight exercises to find push-up, pushing, pushing mechanisms to, to mm-hmm. push something. It's not so easy to find natural ways to pull on something unless you're near a tree. Uh, and so in yoga, most people have pushing, but they don't have that pulling, um, sense. And what are some other types of like, besides pushing and pulling, what are some other types of things that we should think about when we're doing body weight of all those things? What, what do you find the most interesting? Um, we could
1: actually, I had, I had somebody reach out on Twitter that was on a weight loss journey and they'd lost 90 pounds already. Mm-hmm. And then I asked some questions and she's legitimately. 100% I'm confident she's in a caloric deficit because she's mm-hmm. lost 90 pounds already in this deficit.
2: Interesting.
1: And then she hit a plateau, but she didn't only hit a plateau, she's gaining weight. And now gaining weight in a deficit or at maintenance should physiologically be impossible, mm. but it is not, it, it's actually happening. And there is a specific scenario and I've experienced it more, you know, it's, it's fairly regular in people that are on, generally on, 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 a, on a bigger weight loss journey like that, you can, despite calories in, calories out, or despite you know, the laws of physics, you can gain weight in a caloric deficit. And it has to do with the CNS. And I could explain that if you want to talk about
0: that. Absolutely. Very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so, so um, thermodynamics and all these other things uh, dictate that in order to lose weight, you've got to consume less dietary energy than you expend. You, you have to have a deficit of energy so the body burns itself for fuel basically. And then that's how you lose weight. Um, there's a lot of different hormonal factors, all this stuff that impacts your personal metabolism. So what you may be familiar with hearing from sometimes a low carb, low carb crowd is that calories in calories out, is garbage and it's not you know a viable model um, and that it's hormonal. And that's the reason why people have problems. I, I think that both sides are right in a sense that if you have healthy metabolic functioning and you're a 150 pound male or a 120 pound woman whatever you could have another person that's the same exact size weight everything as you but if they have a different hormone profile if they have a slower thyroid if they have left testosterone it's all these different and there's a whole horse host of processes and hormones but long story short two people that are the same way mm-hmm. the same can have a radically different ability to process energy so while the calories in, calories out may still be applicable to both of them, on the same exact food, one's going to be shredded and one's going to be fat, right? Mm-hmm. So, or, or would get that way. So what, in this woman's case, what happens is, for sure, a calorie deficit, she lost 90 pounds. And so I asked her, well, what's your exercise program look like? And so she's working out 45 minutes to an hour, hour and a half a day. Um, she's going like five, six days a week, if I remember correctly. So, she, so she's training hard. And she's doing everything right. She's eating a deficit. She's training hard. When the fat loss slowed, she starts training harder. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now she's adding additional exercise. And I uh, I have a soft spot for people like this because the problem for me with calories in, calories out, it's not that itself is flawed. It's that you think, okay, well, I've been eating less and moving more and it's been working. Okay, it works. But now I'm stuck. So I'll just eat less and move even more, which is the wrong answer. Mm. And what happens is, and like in her case, she started gaining weight on this deficit. So what she's doing is she's eating, you know, I think it was 1400 calories a day, burning 500 or more during exercise. And so when we calculated, it was, I think 800 calories a day is what her body had left over. Mm. And the problem is 800 calories is not enough for a non-sedentary person, especially to properly function your body's not getting what it needs on a day-to-day basis over a prolonged period. So yeah, you could you could have a few days like that or maybe you can go through a week like that, but true starvation mode, which I don't know if that's not necessarily a scientific term, but people mm-hmm. throw that around, that's not coming from not eating a few meals.
2: Mm-hmm. That's
1: coming from chronically grossly undereating relative to activity level.
2: Mm-hmm. So this
1: is what she did. And so so here you have a person that is not eating enough to sustain the activity level, but for sure is in a deficit. And so, okay, maybe she's not losing weight, but how then is the scale going up when that's supposed to be, according to the laws of physics, impossible? Mm-hmm. And what happens is, we asked, I asked a few more questions and it turns out she's only sleeping four hours a night. <clears throat> so when I ask why she's only sleeping four hours a night, it's because, well, I've got to get to the gym to burn these calories, to make my deficit, to lose my weight. And so what I explained to her is that when you are only sleeping four hours a night and there's studies that actually show as little as at 5.5 hours per night in comparison to seven and a half hours per night cortisol levels are up to 50 percent higher Mm. um so now at four hours as opposed to 5.5 it's probably even worse Mm. so you have someone who is chronically under sleeping raising cortisol and so when cortisol is going up beneficial muscle building and fat burning hormones are are being reduced Mm. So you have, and of course, during physical activity, cortisol is going up, which it's a stressor that helps provide the adaptation to exercise. Cortisol is not always bad; mm. you need it, but you need to not have an overabundance of it. And so, chronic. yeah, right. So, so chronic yeah. undersleep, way too much cortisol, and then overactivity relative to the level of sleep and the level of food. So now. Your body's stressed from this long-term starvation mode, caloric deficit. Mm -hmm. And then you've got stress from lack of sleep, stress from physical training. Mm -hmm. So my advice to her was, okay, stop going to the gym and for one week sleep at least six and a half to seven hours a night for a week. Mm -hmm. If you can sleep longer, do it. And just go to work, come home. If you can afford a massage, go get a full body massage. Light a candle, have a glass of wine in the bathtub. Whatever it is that you personally, you know, de-stress with like take a week and just take care of your body don't Mm -hmm. exercise go on if you want to go on a walk go on a walk a light walk or something but basically i just told her take a week and you have to get your cortisol levels down your central nervous system needs time to get back to a to a healthy state so what happened is if you're in a deficit you cannot gain you can build muscle and burn fat every day simultaneously and it happens every day simultaneously so if anybody ever tells you, if you ever hear somebody say you can't build muscle and burn fat at the same time, they mm. have no clue what they're talking about. Mm. It's always happening. But so, if, so even in a deficit, you can build muscle, which is how you see these people that go from being very overweight to losing 100 pounds, yet they gained a bunch of muscle, right? Mm. They didn't have to eat a caloric surplus to build muscle. You don't need to do that. Um, but with that being said, in a deficit, you should not be able to gain scale weight. You shouldn't be able to add matter to your frame you can shift matter from fat to muscle Very through good a process of biological, you know, not the fat itself doesn't turn into muscle, but your body breaks down fat energy yep. and then you, your body builds muscle tissue. Yep. And so, but this person literally gained scale weight while in a deficit, which should be impossible. And so the answer is the extreme levels of stress she was putting herself under were causing her fluid retention. Mm. So you can't gain, you can gain fluid. You can gain water from the, from, you know, this, but you're not going to gain skeletal muscle tissue and body fat. Like you, if you gain two pounds, uh, in a deficit, you did not gain permanent matter, mm-hmm. right? What you did is you gained fluid I, or, or you, or you don't have a deficit. Maybe you're not measuring properly. Maybe something's off
0: which, you know, yep. which is a really interesting so, point. Cause when people do keto, they, they lose like five, 10 immediate, pounds immediately. But that's mo- a lot of it comes from w- losing water weight. Uh, Because their kidneys started functioning differently.
1: Yeah, when you when you are on a very low carb diet, they're called carbohydrates, right? They Mm. help pull fluid in. Um, You do lose some fluid initially. And so it's also one of the reasons why even at the same body fat level, sometimes people look leaner Mm. on a very low carb diet because oftentimes there's less subcutaneous fluid over time. Over a longer period of eating that way, your body will find a proper balance of hydration, provided your electrolytes are okay in the diet. Um, so it, it normalizes over time. But with that being said, um, if you, it is possible to gain weight in a caloric deficit, but the weight is coming from fluid retention. And so once I've had this happen multiple times in the past, when I advise somebody, hey, don't work out for a week go, go mm. on vacation, go to the beach, relax, whatever. Mm. I've had people do nothing and eat like crap, you know, relative to what they were doing for a week and lose two pounds. Mm. And it's just because their body finally is... Wrestling. And, and at, yeah, yeah, and athletes know this. Coaches yep. know this. You have, you have purposely... You have periods where you purposely push your athletes or you push yourself to overtrain, mm. but it's controlled overtraining. Yep. So mm-hmm. when you notice signs of the body needing to then come off of that, you know, whether it's high volume or really, really strong strength training, whatever it happens to be, it's like, okay, now, now we're going to have what they call a deload week. So you're still going to go through some mobility work or some really light exercise just, you know, to keep your body um, active, but it's way, way less stress. Mm. And maybe that maybe that week or two or whatever, you have more off days than you normally do. So so basically overtraining can be used to push yourself as an overload mechanism,
2: mm.
1: provided you make sure that you recognize the signs of, and, and some of the signs are like, if you're just feeling fatigued, foggy headedness, you know, um, general, general tiredness when you normally don't feel that way. If your sleep quality suffers and you're waking up in the middle of the night when you normally don't,
2: mm. you know,
1: it, it, it's various, it can vary for everyone. Um, but those things can be signs that, or you're sore for longer than normal. There's, when you become conditioned to training, you don't get sore like a new person does. And that's normal. So some people think, well, I'm not really sore. So my workout's not good, which the Mm -hmm. two are not, that's not a way to measure how good Mm -hmm. a workout is. Although getting sore can be good. Mm -hmm. Um, But so, so if you're the type of person that doesn't get sore often on, on your method on your training uh, method, and all of a sudden, You've, you're going along with the similar program, overloading things and and you start to notice you're just more fatigued, more sore. It might be time to back it off a little, or it might be time to rest a little more. Interesting. Um, yeah, so rest is, rest is super important, but from person to person, how much rest you need can vary quite a bit.
0: Which is, yeah, the key is that it, it all depends. And this is the issue with doing things like what we're doing right now and the videos that you're creating is that we create these videos and then a, a single individual watches those things and then says, Oh, how does this apply to me? But doesn't quite get the whole message because there are things about themselves that are different from, from the norm or different from other people. This is the big thing. I just wrote about it today in my blog, which is that there's a spectrum between transactional and transformational. uh, And whenever you create contact content and transactional is like a blog post, a video, a piece of art, something where it doesn't have feedback back from the audience. I mean, there's feedback, but it's less. And then there's transformational where you get one-on-one individual work where you can really make a change in someone's life. And so a lot of people need that transformational work, but either don't have the money for it, don't have the time for it, don't have the, uh, the contact with the people that, that they need to find and stuff like that. So that's a it's really interesting problem that I, I, I want to f- figure out more how to do is get, get that right information to the right person when they need it and stuff like that. So that's actually
1: really interesting because I've had a few people message me and they're like, "Hey, how can I give back or support you? Right? You don't sell anything." Mm. And so what happened is, um, I'm not like independently wealthy or anything like that by any means. But when I first started this, and I saw that there was well, like I mentioned, it just kind of happened. Mm. And when I saw like, "Hey, there's an actual need here," maybe I should do an ebook. And so I was starting to put things together to do an ebook. And then I thought, "Well, this is going to take me a while, so let me start an email list because I'm getting asked." some similar questions repeatedly, like, hey, what exercises do I do? Where do I start? Mm-hmm. And so I started an email list with a few emails that basically give you an a, a overview of these are the eight main skills with a skill tree. These are the eight things you need to do. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I didn't yet, because people ask me, okay, cool, I'm going to do these eight exercises, right? It's like, I'm gonna do these push-ups, pull-ups, body weight, squats, hollow body, whatever. I'm gonna do these eight things. How many days a week? And how, what do I do? And the problem is because we're all unique and there's similarities amongst group, you know, a group yes. some people are gonna do better three days a week, some five days a week. Um, that's when I said, Okay, I'm because Twitter's not the best for searching for content, <laughs> yep. I was like, Okay, I get, I'm gonna do a, a YouTube and I'm I'm going to eventually write an ebook, which I started uh, and what I'll do with the ebook is I'll sell it for like a modest, modest fee for people who want to support what I'm doing for whatever reason. Mm. But everything that's in the ebook will be on YouTube for free. So mm. my whole, my whole, what what I came up with is I've, I've got people from like Africa, you know, you, social media, they're all over the world. Yeah. And so what I decided is I don't really care. I'm not a very materialistic dude, first off. Um, so I honestly don't really care that much about the money. Mm. What what I want to have is, not have any kind of paywall that would prevent somebody from getting help if they wanted to make a change. And because what I've realized is coming from having worked out for a long time, I didn't really think like, just go to the gym. You're lazy. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Everybody's not looking at you. Mm-hmm. That was years ago. My, my mentality. Right. Um, but now like I understand as I've gotten older and a little wiser and actually sought self-improvement and got out of my rut and all that kind of stuff that I feel more for where other people are at in their, in their walk. And so there, there are a lot of people that just feel intimidated, uncomfortable. They have no clue what they're doing. And and at the end of the day, they're just not going to go to the gym. doesn't yeah. matter what you mm-hmm. tell them. They're just not going to go. Yeah. Then you have other people. Like in my case, I've got two kids that I homeschool. I mean, I'm, I'm their homeschool teacher my wife travels in a medical field. Um, so luckily I do consulting work from home. Um, And so I took a huge pay cut from what I was doing before to allow me to have the time to invest in my kids. Mm -hmm. The cool thing is it's also now opened me up to have the time to help people on Twitter and to do this. And so basically what I decided is for the people that have said, Hey, we want to support you. Cool. I'll have something coming. And if you want to buy it, it'll, I'll make sure it's super high quality, well put together, but here you go. Here's everything in, in a nice ebook that you can, you know, or maybe mm. a printed book, I don't know. Mm. But I will have everything systematically laid out on YouTube for free. Mm. And at, at the end of the day, if what I can teach people really is valuable enough, YouTube will spread to the point where yes, there's some compensation. I'm sure I'm not gonna have millions of subscribers. It's not mm-hmm. like that, you know. It's it's not that type of content. But yeah. I feel like with YouTube, there's just by subscribing to my channel, you do help me a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, Like it's like in this really small way you can give back by just subscribing and interacting on there and that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of my, why why I decided, okay, I'm just going to put it all on YouTube and I don't want to take up too much of the time talking about this portion of it. But if you do go to my YouTube and it's not, not anywhere close to finished yet, um, what I've done, cause the problem for me is like you mentioned, you've got somebody who sees one piece of content and goes, Hey, this is interesting, but how do I take this and how do I learn all this stuff to make a program? Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing is for each exercise that I want someone to do or think someone should do push ups pull-ups, body weight squats, there's going to be a playlist and some of those playlists have already started and each video is three to five minutes long and those videos will cover from i've never done a squat before i don't know what the hell i'm doing that's where you'll start and once you've once you can do what's in video number one Mm. um then you'd say okay cool in this playlist i'm ready for video number two
2: Mm. now
1: i'm ready for video number three and so i'm going to make each exercise however many videos it takes to get people from i can't do a pull-up to doing a one arm pull up, which that's going to take years. So I'm not worried about oh that video yet. You know, I'm trying to get all the, the basic stuff. People are going to train for a long time before that's even a po- something they're worried about. Yep. But that's how I decided to structure it is, you know, when you get to the channel, there is a introductory video that tells you how to use the channel. And then I talk about progressive overload and muscular tension. I'm I'm basically trying to have, here's how to work out to be productive and get results first in general. Mm. And then below that, here's, the exercise methodology that I use mm. and you can just go through it at your own pace from an absolute beginner. So if you see a video and you say these are easy for me, cool, you just go to the next video in that progression in that um, playlist. Mm. Or maybe maybe you're all maybe you're advanced enough you're like all the way to the end of the play. But wherever <laughs> you're at in your personal fitness journey find the next step. You can just navigate right to it and find so kind of like chapters in a book. Yep. It's videos in a playlist. So that so that's kind of how I organized it and luckily my wife has a great career I do okay so I don't I'm not my goal is not make a lot of money uh, yeah it's not really to make a lot of money and like and I know and but I'm not not naive at the end of the day if everything's on YouTube for free and the content's great I know it will grow yeah. I know people will be able to get an awesome workout at home and I'll, I'll be okay you know yeah.
0: And so uh, this is probably a good, good time to wrap up. But how can people find uh, how, how can people find that YouTube channel? What how do they what do they search for?
1: It's just under my name, mm-hmm. um, which is Jerry Teshira. The last name is uh, T E I X E I R A, mm. um, and it'll it'll go there on YouTube. Uh, I'm at the same name on Twitter. Um, I also started an Instagram, but the Instagram I, I don't, it's not. It's not really my favorite social media. Yeah. Um, but the reason I started, it's because on Twitter, I would have people asking me, hey, what does your personal workout look like? And my personal workout has zero to do with what anybody else's workout should look like. <laughs> and so but I, I don't post. Yeah, but so I don't post <laughs> what I'm personally doing on Twitter at all. Yeah. Um, but what I started doing is just individual progressions or exercises I'm working on. Mm. I'll just throw quick videos up on uh instagram and my and my goal for instagram i'm not trying to teach anything on there Mm -hmm. i'm just kind of using it as a i thought about it for a while like how would i use instagram and i'm just using it for a workout log of sorts Mm
2: -hmm.
0: that
1: i can just look back on later and see where i was at at this point in time and
0: if anyone else is curious about what you're doing then you can do there too
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and it's just under my name same thing Mm -hmm. actually it's jerry tech to share but jt.bodyweightstrength on instagram mm-hmm. so if you're curious about what i'm personally working on at a given time it'll be on instagram if you're trying to learn to you know further or, or improve your own fitness then that's going to be twitter and youtube
0: mm-hmm. cool thank you so much it's been a huge pleasure talking to you and i want to have you again on the show um we can go deep into all these different science issues and all this other stuff so
1: yeah. I'm, I'm always studying. So I'm sure next time, in fact, if you want to delve into certain topics, uh-huh. if you want to let me know at some point in advanced enough, I'll, I'll actually pull up studies and we'll have stuff put together and, you know, do deep cool. dive more if, if people want to hear that stuff, you know?
0: Yeah. So let us know if you want to hear it. Cool. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. I appreciate it, man. Thank you.